What's up, everyone? I'm Andrew Steinwald, and this is Zima Red. On this show, we speak with the users, founders, and creatives that are diving into the world of unique digital assets, also called non-fungible tokens. My guests today are brothers Duncan and Griffin, the co-founders of Nifty Gateway. Nifty Gateway is the world's first centralized NFT exchange that allows people to buy NFTs using fiat currency. Started in 2018 and acquired by the Winklevoss twins crypto exchange Gemini, it's safe to say that Duncan and Griffin are onto something big. They are trying to reduce the barriers to entry so the next million and eventually billion people can get onboarded into the Nifty ecosystem. It was great speaking with Duncan and Griffin and getting to know everything from their unique go-to-market approach to how they pitch Nifties to non-crypto natives. Also, we dive deep into how narrative and proof of work impacts the art world. Keep an eye on these two because they are making big moves and pushing our space forward. Please enjoy my conversation with Duncan and Griffin. Duncan and Griffin, thank you so much for joining me today. Really excited to chat with you guys. And to get us started, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background, how you got started in crypto, and then how you guys got involved with non-fungible tokens. And to start, let's go with uh, Griffin first. Andrew, thank you so much for having us, man. Super excited to be here. Yeah, how we got started in crypto. So it's a funny story. Basically, just out of college, Duncan and I had both gotten jobs. Duncan was working at Accenture, and I was working at Jet.com, Walmart's e-commerce division. And I think we both kind of gravitated to startups. We saw like a lot more green grass there than working for these kind of big companies. And uh, it was actually Duncan who first got into crypto, so I have to give him credit. I was, I was pretty skeptical of NFTs at first when he first told me about it. I spent a little while being skeptical. I was like, digital collectibles? Like, what is this? But, um, you know, the more, kind of, I have the experience a lot of people do where the more I learned about it and the closer I got, I started to really think it was like consequential, impactful tech. So Duncan deserves the credit, but it was, uh, it was CryptoKitties that kind of made us pay attention for the first time when that project blew up. Yeah, for me, I mean, I, I was out of college and I was always interested in exploring new technologies. So I, I encountered crypto just sort of like playing around. You know, I, I tried implementing some stuff on the Ethereum blockchain. I was also sort of playing around with AI. But I think it was when I saw Nifties that I really like felt like I had found what I was looking for. I wasn't super into like finance and fintech. And so I, I wasn't like as into the, the money applications of crypto. I thought they were really cool, but I was always, I, I just wasn't sort of like a, a finance minded person. But when I saw CryptoKitties, I was like, wow, this is a really cool use case of blockchain technology. I think uh, Griffin and I sort of had the right background for it. You know, we grew up playing Magic the Gathering. Uh, I collected sneakers in high school. I was always pretty into streetwear. So I think, and this is something I, I noticed with a lot of NFT people actually, is they sort of have a background in collectibles. And so when they see NFTs, they recognize the potential. And so I think it was really, you know, sort of a, the right place at the right time. And yeah, I've just been working on Nifties ever since. That's great. Yeah, it definitely sounds like you guys had the right, you guys were at the right place, right time, and definitely had the correct skill set in order to kind of go into this, enter this ecosystem. And I want to ask you guys, and let's go with Duncan first, what are your views on cryptocurrencies in general? So like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and the other altcoins? I, I mean, I really think, for one thing, I think it's kind of silly that cryptocurrencies get talked about as if they're one monolithic thing. I mean, for me, Bitcoin is meant to accomplish something very different than Ethereum is meant to accomplish. I think that they both have great use cases. Like, I, I mean, as we talked about in other podcasts, part of the acquisition of Nifty Gateway was paid in Bitcoin. And Griffin and I chose to do that because we're, you know, both extremely bullish on like Bitcoin and what it can do to change the world. I think uh, 
Ethereum also has an established, you know, like a very established use case. I mean, as you can see, there's so many applications being built on top of it. There's so much developer activity. I've yet to encounter another like a blockchain outside of those two that I really have like fully understood and, and seen the, and seen being used in a way that like makes me feel excited about them. That's not to say that that won't happen. It's just to say that like, I, I personally haven't encountered one. Like I've never really tried out EOS. I've never really played around with Tron. So those, those really are my views. And for me, I mean, cryptocurrency is a monolithic thing. I'm totally bullish. I really think it's like the internet in 1991. I think there's just like huge, huge amount of potential. And I think we just see so many parallels to the early days of the internet where most of it exists as promise. The tech hasn't really scaled up yet. And because the vast majority of the population doesn't quite understand it or doesn't have the ability to easily access it, you know, it's, it's like a decade plus away from realizing its full potential. But, you know, what we're seeing happening is like a lot of the core infrastructure is getting built and that needs to layer on top of itself, you know, like something I always like to say is Facebook couldn't have existed if email hadn't taken off first. Everybody needs to have an email address in order for Facebook to work. So I, I think we're seeing a lot of that similarities with crypto. People are hearing about Bitcoin. More and more people are discovering it every day. NFTs are another crazy cool use case that more and more people are getting into, especially in the art and collectibles world. And this infrastructure is being built. And I think in 15 years, you know, it's as impactful as the internet and the tech is just game changing. And that's like totally totally how my view is and working in the industry, I think only reinforces that for me because you see up close what's happening and you see the caliber of talent of people who decide to like go all in on crypto. And it's really impressive. You know, it's just the best people. So totally bullish, world changing. I want to add something to that because Griffin talking about, you know, parallels to the internet. I mean, even our, our views that informed like the decisions we make at Nifty Gateway, it's called Nifty Gateway because it's sort of like, well, People don't really know what nifties are right now. So they need a, a gateway to help them understand what those are. Like we sort of think of ourselves similar, like AOL is a, you know, a great example of a gateway where you, you couldn't access the open internet. You could just use AOL to like chat with your friends. You could use internet protocols to, to accomplish some pretty cool things. And then like after AOL, people were familiar enough with the internet, you know, that they could do Facebook, they could do Airbnb, they could use it for anything. But, uh, you know, you needed that gateway to get people over the hump. And that's kind of the way that we view Nifty Gateway. I mean, it, it's in the name. You know, it's, it's fiat it's very only. descriptive. Yeah, very descriptive. It's fiat only because <laughs> that's what people are used to. They need a way to access this technology that, like, is simple to use and easy to understand. But then once everyone is familiar enough with it, then we can really start to see, you know, the major impacts that blockchain and Nifties will have on society. So I'm really excited for that. And I don't think we're going to end up, like, AOL either. Well, I hope not. <laughs> Merge with an established large company, then get kicked out by proxy vote. Yeah, right, we'll see. All right. So it, it sounds like you guys were are definitely very bullish on crypto, traditional cryptocurrencies. And so I want to ask you, why did you guys, because you guys had the right skill set, you guys are, you know, right time, right place, as we said. And obviously, you guys touch upon this a bit, how you guys were collectors. And so that's kind of why you were attracted to NFTs. But why did you guys not go the traditional crypto route? What attracted you to NFTs? What was that? Like I said, for me, it was just sort of a, an example of, I, I was never like that interested in finance, like traditional finance. I, I feel like it's still just like, just doesn't really speak to me. Whereas uh, using this technology to like make a new medium of art, like make a new type of collectible, I, I just found that much more compelling. I think it's just sort of, you know, certain people have a natural affinity for certain things. We sort of had experiences early in life that led us to understand the 
you know, how just how impactful a, a collectible can be and just how like, you know, how much physical collectibles impact our lives. And so, yeah, I really think it was just sort of a predisposition to this one use case of the technology. A lot of a lot of other people have different predispositions, and so they end up working on different things. I really think that's all. It is. Yeah, and then also, like, I don't know, I think you kind of fall into it a little bit. Like, you have to pick your area. There's a lot of, like, really cool stuff happening all over the tech world. You know, AI and quantum computing are obviously fields with a lot of potential. We could have picked to work in those, but I, I think blockchain has every bit as much as potential and kind of like, I don't know, you just got to pick something and run with it. I think NFTs, huge amount of green grass, kind of overlooked by a lot of people who work in other cryptocurrency fields because it's like tangential in terms of its applications and use case, but as much potential, hugely impactful. And yeah, sort of fell into it a little bit, but no looking back. I think NFTs are amazing. I kind of think that's a part of it too. I mean, like when we first started working on NFTs, it really was sort of a a little overlooked. I mean, it's, you know, maybe even still is. But when this first started, you know, that NFT's got a bunch of mainstream attention, you know, a, a lot of different thought leader VC types were talking about their potential. And then, you know, as people realized that it was way more challenges than they thought, which happened in a lot of crypto, but basically people realized like, wow, this is going to be much more difficult than I thought. There was massive attrition. And that's, during that attrition is right when we started Nifty Gateway. So like, I like to talk about how the first year in Nifty Gateway was just like, it was basically just a steady decline in the number of well-known people talking about NFTs. And like, that was, that was kind of a fun backdrop to work on. Cause that's when the, you know, that's when the really, the people who are really interested in it come in and that's when the real like work starts to get done. And I think that's really what we have seen happen. I think we're now starting to see the use cases like become very established and like, uh, you know, we mostly focus on art. It seems to me like this is a, this idea is really about to like grow significantly in terms of the number of people who accept it as like a, a, a medium of art collecting. But yeah, we, we were in NFTs when it wasn't cool, to be clear, you know, before <laughs> it was cool. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. All right. So what do you guys think are the main barriers to adoption within the NFT space? Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. And that's perfect for us too, because that's like, something we focus on a lot. Like Duncan said, similar to AOL, you know, where they were really just trying to bring people into the internet. It's like a huge focus for us is accessibility and bringing people into the NFT space who we think belong there. I think the main barriers to adoption, this is really reflected in how we built Nifty Gateway, is accessibility and education. First of all, accessibility. I mean, accessing a crypto wallet, getting used to that UX, it's very unintuitive for a lot of people. Having to like get a, get a wallet and then sign up for an exchange which can usually take days and get crypto. Amazon has done studies, I think, in terms of like how much drop-off you see based on onboarding time. And you know, if the onboarding time to get started doing something is three days, you're gonna have like a 99% drop-off rate. So like that's why we built Nifty Gateway the way we did with a custodied solution and a centralized exchange, you know, to make it like take 30 seconds to get started with collecting NFTs, with trading NFTs. And we think that makes a big difference. And then the other one really is education. A lot of people don't know about the tech. And it's the kind of thing where the advantages are counterintuitive. This is something we've seen a lot. When you first tell someone, it's kind of like Bitcoin in 2012. When first when people first heard about it, they're like, well, how is that different from PayPal? Like, why is that significant? But then like the closer you look, the, you know, the closer you get, the more significant it really starts to seem. And we've seen a really, really similar phenomenon with a lot of the people we pitch, whether that's collectors or whether that's artists. Where from a distance, it kind of, 
the advantages are counterintuitive. So it doesn't seem as significant as it is. But then once you start to get up close, you're like, wow, okay, this actually matters a lot. So accessibility and education, I think, are, are just the two biggest barriers. And it just takes time. It's just like the internet, you know? It keeps on growing every year. The infrastructure gets built out. Certain like infrastructure layers have to be there. Like I said, you know, you need email to catch on first in order for Facebook to exist. But I, I think that infrastructure is building. People are learning about it. Their eyes do light up when they find out when they discover the concept of a rare digital item you can truly own. So yeah, super optimistic. Yeah, just to add on to that, I think it was the super rare guys who who had this saying, which I thought was pretty funny. They're like, MetaMask is like a fox standing outside your website, like guarding it, preventing new users from signing up, <laughs> which is kind of true because when you force people to go through cryptocurrency onboarding, it really does lead to enormous drop-off. People find it incredibly confusing. I think that aspect gets talked about a lot. And uh, you know that aspect definitely informed the decisions we made at Nifty Gateway. I think the aspect that gets talked about less often is um, people don't spend enough time asking themselves like, well, why should a regular person buy a Nifty? Like, what would motivate a regular person to buy a Nifty? That's something that we try and spend a lot of time on. You know, we for us, it, it's all about content. We we like to talk about, well, if we don't make Nifties that are compelling enough for people to buy, then like we don't deserve to exist as a business. I think, uh, especially after the the success of CryptoKitties, there was sort of a, and this this happened in other areas of crypto too, but a lot of people came in and they they smelled easy money. It was the kind of people who were like, okay, sweet, I can make a quick buck. I don't have to like put in the hard work. And a lot of people tried to make like NFT projects that, you know, maybe weren't as high quality as they should have been. Like I remember one NFT project from a few years ago. It was called like Crypto Masterpieces. And they would just take like old Dutch masters and turn them into NFTs. And like somehow there was a market for that. I was like, this is kind of insane. Like what <laughs> why are you guys like the the people doing this? Like couldn't anyone just like take the old masters and turn them into nifties. But anyway, I, I think, uh, I think content is the, the one thing that like, doesn't get talked about as much. Like we really try and think about that every day. How do we make art that's compelling enough to like get people to buy who wouldn't otherwise buy? Like, how do we get artists interested in the space who have like such big reputations that, you know, their fan bases are then look up and are like, okay, let me learn about this NFT thing. If like this artist I love is interested in it, it's gotta be pretty cool. So yeah, that's just what I wanted to add. I love your guys' focus on these core, on the surface, simplistic questions, but deep down, they're really, really deep and intense. It's, you know, like, why do people, why would someone buy an NFT? Like, why would a regular person do that? I think that if you guys can kind of answer those questions, then it's like off the races for sure. And also, I want to touch upon what Griffin said about how just adoption in general takes takes time. And it seems that you guys are... 100% in, in this for like the long haul. And I think Naval Ravikant, he said, you want to play long-term games with long-term people. And just the fact that you guys partner up or I don't know if it's partnership or acquired or what you guys call it, but with the uh, Winklevoss twins, those guys are, they're never thinking a year or two down the road. They're thinking like five to 10 years down the road or even 20 years down the road. You guys are really in the perfect position to kind of catch the wave on this very long-term trend and just kind of expand in a, in a massive way. So, all right. How do you guys think that NFTs will go mainstream? Uh, I mean, honestly, it, it's tough for me to, to not give the self-interested answer here. I think like art is going to be the, the first use case that really breaks through. I think there are a number of reasons for that. And like the, those reasons informed like our decision to focus a lot on art through Nifty Gateway. For one thing, I think artists are like, 
you know, they're very like forward looking people. They're always looking for something new. You know, they love, they love being on the frontier. They love pioneering stuff. And like, uh, for them, like the incentives to like enter a new medium or try to create a new medium are like actually quite high. If you're a prominent artist, then that's a really like easy way for you to expand. You know, if you're already a famous painter, then you can provide your fans something new by making a collection of nifties or by making a sculpture. Whereas like, I, I feel like the incentives are a little bit more tricky for video games. And we've kind of seen this. I, I, I mean, I think that art and video games are the two most prominent use cases. I mean, digital land is another, another like great example, but I would probably rope that in with video games. But yeah, I think with video games, the trouble we've seen is you kind of have to build a, a new awesome game if you want to get people using NFTs because it's just very hard to tr- to convince the like traditional game makers to incorporate NFTs. Like they already have something that's working quite well for them. They don't want to disrupt themselves. I think that's just more like I think artists just more open to new ideas. That's honestly what I think will be the first use case that goes mainstream, which is kind of a cool thing to think about. I was thinking about this the other day. The whole art world was almost barely impacted by the internet. You know, it's one of the one of the things that was least affected by internet technology. I mean, still, I think most art sales happen offline. I'm not sure the exact statistics, but it's, you know, like most art collectors, I, I'd imagine a lot of them don't even know how to, like are not even that computer literate. So I think that would be kind of cool if art was one of the worlds least impacted by the internet, but one of the first worlds impacted by blockchain technology. I think that would be like pretty neat. Yeah. And like Duncan said, you know, talking to people, it does seem like artists have the most interest and their collectors right now seem interested. I mean, it's early to say really, but I do think art loves to try new stuff. Blockchain tech has that hype. It gets people's interest and it is something like totally unique that was never possible before. And that's something that really like interests the art world. It's like taking advantage of new mediums and doing stuff that was never possible before. So that would be my guess right now, but like, we'll see. There's so many different ways it could enter the mainstream. Yeah, I agree with you guys in that artists, they are constantly on like the, the bleeding edge of stuff. And they're like the first people to go ahead and try new new things, whether that be technology or, you know, as we see it with like different up and coming neighborhoods in different cities, they're the first ones to move in and then they kind of beautify it. And then, it, you know, it's a like gentrification type of deal. And I think that that's a really interesting quality that, that artists tend to have. And also, you mentioned that the the internet did not really disrupt the art world, which which I agree with, and I think it's really interesting why that didn't really happen. And it's odd to think that the the galleries have kind of always been in charge or always had control over the financial rails of the art world, mm-hmm. but then with the with the internet, the artists suddenly were in control of like the media side. So as before, maybe it was the galleries were in charge of the media side and the financial rails. At least now, the artists with the internet, they have control of the media side, which, you know, through Instagram, through Facebook or whatever. And I think with NFTs, we're seeing that now the power is fully in in the hands of the artists. So right. now that the artist has complete control of their media side through the internet, you know, social media, and now they have control of the financial rails through, you know, blockchain and NFTs and stuff like that. So I think that we're on the, the very cusp of the, this like next period in art history um, where NFTs are going to be the, you know, digital art is going to become mainstream. It's going to be like, oh, uh, you know, we had the Renaissance, we had this thing and then this, and then now it's going to be, oh, and then that era kind of started digital art. And I think that's really, really, uh, really amazing. It's so representative of our era too. You know, art always reflects the time it's in, which is something right. I love about it. But digital art is like, it could not be a more perfect time for it in terms of the rest of the world. 
and how the world is becoming so digital first. Yeah, the world is becoming so digital. We like to talk about how Nifty's art collecting for the next generation, for the like the type of people who are always online. I, I think that's a really fascinating point. And I, I frankly think that you talk about worlds that are ripe for disruption. I mean, art is kind of way up there. The old the gallery model is like, it, it seems kind of outdated when you like go back to it. I mean, galleries take like such a large cut and they basically, a lot of galleries just own so many relationships with collectors. It, it does sort of seem like, well, why is the relationship with the collector not directly with the artist themselves? So yeah, I'm excited to see how that will change and how we can like, you know, continue to help artists like reach their fans in new ways, which is going to be really cool. So going back to the, uh, how do NFTs go mainstream? Do you guys think that there will be some sort of event like, you know, how, how Gods Unchained kind of went viral uh, through the banning of those players from their Hearthstone tournament? And, you know, they got really popular from that. Do you guys think that there'll be some sort of, you know, singular event similar to that? Maybe another NFT game like CryptoKitties goes viral, something uh, along those lines. Or do you think it's going to be kind of a slow and steady grind uh, upwards where people are just slowly getting interested and adopting this stuff and kind of using it. What do you guys think? What will be that event? Well, I I definitely think it'll be more of a slow and steady grind. I I feel like that's how adoption usually happens. It's easy to notice the one big event, but you know, usually when something goes viral, a bunch of people show up and then they don't stick around. So you need slow and steady adoption. But that being said, I mean, I feel like there'll be a lot of stuff. I don't know exactly what it'll look like, but there's so much creative potential in terms of creating a programmable piece of art, you know, like a piece of art that maybe can only be traded for twice what it sold for last, or, you know, maybe it's like limit only a certain number of people can buy it or like it changes based on what virtual world it's in. Like the idea of like creating a piece of art where you can like really program rules around it, I think is like super, super interesting. And I think we're going to see some artists do some really creative stuff there. And, you know, it'll probably be either be a crypto native artist or an artist who already has a large reputation outside the crypto world that does something really interesting and compelling. And I think like that will really get a lot of people's attention because it'll make them perk up and, you know, notice the fact that this is something fundamentally different that enables a lot of behavior you couldn't enable before. Um, So my money would be on something like that. Some big splashy, you know, creative use of the programmability of NFTs that really makes people pay attention, probably from like a large artist, but we'll see. Or I think like just large artists getting in the, the space I mean, we have an artist signed up who is going to do a project. We can't too, talk too much about it, but uh, this artist has like a you know an incredibly large reputation. I, I think when they do a project, you know, it, it might lead to a bunch of people who have never interacted with Nifties before, like researching them, trying to figure out what they are, because they'll look up and be like, "Oh wow, like this this massive artist is like doing a Nifty project. Like there must be something here." So I could see an event like that causing virality. That's awesome. You guys will have to uh, tell me after the podcast who that is secretly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we will. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I want to dive into Nifty Gateway. Obviously, we've been speaking about it quite some bit, but I just want to hear from your own words in its simplest form. What is Nifty Gateway? So Nifty Gateway is two things. The first is a centralized US dollar-based exchange for NFTs, ERC-721 specifically, powered by Gemini Custody. So If you sign up for Nifty Gateway, all you need is an email address. There's no KYC or anything. It takes 30 seconds to sign up. You can buy NFTs from our marketplace. You can put them up for sale. When you sell them, you can cash out the proceeds from your sale directly to a U.S. bank account. We currently don't have support for any other countries besides the U.S., but 
we're working very hard to add that, to add international compatibility too. And we think that's a very, very powerful thing for adoption in part because of, yeah, the 30 second signup, which you know I think is absolutely massive. And then the UX benefits of a centralized exchange. Like it really took centralized exchanges like Coinbase and Gemini to help crypto go mainstream. So yeah, that's something we're really, really excited about. And that's the first part. And then the second part of Nifty Gateway is basically a project producing arm uh, where we go out, we pitch artists who have followings outside of the crypto world, you know, who have followings in more of the traditional art world or have large online followings. We pitch them on the concept of NFTs. We explain the tech and why it's significant. And then we collaborate them with them to get them to release projects. And we do, they're called drops. We do them about once every three weeks or once every two weeks. We work with them to design a project and then we release it on our platform, on the Nifty Gateway Marketplace. Yeah, so it's those two things together, the centralized exchange, the secondary market, and then the, the exhibitions is what we call them, which are artists releasing projects. That happens about every two weeks. And so the way it works is an artist released a project, releases a project, it's sold via exhibition, and then once it sells out, you can trade it on the secondary market too. It's kind of like there's a primary market where you can buy it directly from the artist and it can be traded on the secondary market that we have. So we think there's a lot of synergies, maybe the wrong word, but yeah, we think there's a lot of like compatibility between those two things. That's what Nifty Gateway is. It's like I said, it's all about accessibility. It's all about getting a billion people collecting NFTs. And we just did our launch. You know, we, we launched our first collection with three artists and it went quite well. And we, we saw some of the stuff that we were hoping to see, which is like some of the nifties trading up in value on the secondary market, which I think is always pretty cool to see. Like the, the Brass Boombox by Lila Werko, it was an addition of 100 for $20 each. And then we've seen like, I, I think almost 10 secondary market transactions and the average secondary market purchase is around $50, like slightly less, maybe like 45 but anyway, you know, this, this item is already like trading up in value on the secondary market, which is pretty cool to see. Of course, I think, I think the danger and I think something that we're going to have to be aware of is, you know, we might end up with a bunch of resellers, people who like aren't genuinely interested in collecting these nifties who are just trying to make a quick buck. But we have some ideas for how we can mitigate that problem as well. And we haven't really seen like malicious users like that yet. Yeah. Oh, I should also add, everybody has a profile on Nifty Gateway where you can display your NFTs and like link back to your profile. That's another thing we're working on is display. I mean, our perspective is kind of like, we're going to go as full stack as we need to, to make NFTs compelling to a large number of people. So right. that really cuts both ways in terms of making it accessible to users, but also making it accessible to artists and people who have large followings, making it easy for them to create an NFT and sell to their audience. And then, you know, we also want to work on letting people display them in their homes. There's so much green grass in our opinion, but that's what Nifty Gateway is right now. It's a centralized exchange for NFTs, as well as projects released in collaboration with artists and brands every two to three weeks. And then I should also mention, in terms of the centralized exchange, right now it isn't open. It's not open to other NFT projects. Like you can't buy and sell CryptoKitties on there. But that is something we're thinking about in the future because we have the centralized exchange, maybe like opening it up to all ERC-721s or some projects at a time. You know, that's another possible direction. I love that. So I have a lot of questions. Uh, one of them was, so you mentioned the process for signing up. You can sign up really quickly. It takes roughly, you said 30 seconds, you input your credit card and you can buy everything with your credit card. Is that the only method to purchase assets right now? We've had some trouble messaging this distinction, but 
on the primary market where you're buying directly from an artist, you can also pay with Ethereum. You can pay with a MetaMask if you want. When you're buying something from another user, though, your only option is to pay with a credit card. Interesting. Is there any sort of, I don't know, regulatory reason for that? It's not regulatory. It's just for fraud prevention. If someone's getting paid with with crypto, you know, they have the crypto. There's nothing you can do to get it back from them. Whereas like with a centralized exchange, you can make sure that bad actors are, are signal, signaled out. You have a lot more control over kind of their ability to run away with your funds, if that makes sense. Okay, interesting. Let's say I made some great trades and I want to cash out. How do I, do I just send those US dollars back to my bank account via wire or how does that? No, you just use Plaid. You just sign in with your bank account, you know, use the same email and password you would use to sign into your bank account online and then just hit cash out. And it's an ACH transfer. So it takes about three to five days. But I actually just got my first cash out from my sale of a brass boombox. So that was pretty exciting. That's awesome. All right. Yeah. So that sounds like very, very simple and very user friendly. And no fees for cash outs also. We should have yeah, no fees for cash outs. How is that possible? Well, an ACH, sending an ACH transfer is free. Okay. Okay. That, that's great. Like credit cards, you do have to pay a fee on every transaction, but ACH is like, there's no percentage fee, which is great. There is a, there is a fee though, when you put something up for sale on the secondary market, when you resell it, we do charge a fee on that to be clear. The fee breakdown varies project to project because some artists, one of the features we offer to artists is that they get a cut of all secondary sales, which is a unique feature that a lot of artists have actually really perked up at when we explain it to them, because right now there's no way for them to get a cut of secondary sales. And that's something a lot of them are irked by. So on Nifty Gateway, when an artist does a project with us, they can pick what percentage of every secondary sale they want. And that is factored when you put something up for sale. And whenever you put something up for sale, you can see the fee breakdown very directly. That's really cool. So for example, there'll be a sale on the secondary and you guys, Nifty Gateway will take its you know, X amount of fee, its baseline fee on the secondary sale. And then myself as the artist, I can add in, okay, I want to take 5% or I want to take 25%. It's whatever I choose. Yeah. It's whatever you choose. Exactly. You could say, I'm going to charge three times the sale price <laughs> every time this is resold. It would have to sell for four times its original price. Like in order to resell. I don't know. That'd be crazy. That'd be a crazy market dynamic. Being able to customize whatever you want is super interesting. And I bet you we, we will see some artists do really low secondary sale percentages and then some artists do really, really high. So it's going to be really exciting to, to watch how that plays out. And also I want to talk about how you guys have the kind of the drops model, like kind of taking that from streetwear. I think that that's really, really interesting. So what is the reason that you guys decide to do these drops versus kind of just have like a an exchange where everyone just sells whatever they want, whenever they want. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I mean, as we were like trying to figure out what to do for Nifty Gateway 2.0, we basically like, we did a lot of research and like learned as much as we could about the art world and sort of the streetwear world too. Really what we think it is, is like, if you put all, if you put what you're launching together in a release, then it just, it creates much more of like, a moment around what you're doing and it, it gives you an opportunity to like tell people about why what you're doing is so cool which is such an important part of the art world you know you look at at art galleries what they do is when they are launching a new exhibition they'll always have an opening night party and then like when you go they'll always take that opportunity to tell you about the artists that they're showing and they'll like walk you through like what they're trying to accomplish with their art which is such an important part of any art purchase you know, like, uh, how, how does this work of art fit into the, the zeitgeist? Like, how does this work of art impact, like, the larger history of art? And, you know, like, that 
that opening party just creates like such an environment where you're around other people who are interested in the same things you are, you know, it's like your opportunity to, you know, experience not just, not just the artwork itself, but like also the culture that the artwork goes along with it. And it's not just the, it's not just the galleries, you know, Christie's and Sotheby's will, you know, their biggest nights are, are their Thursday evening auctions where they'll like get their best lots together and they'll put them all up for sale on the same night. You know, they, they turn it into an event. That was really what motivated us because we thought, all right, this is a great chance to like, to educate our audience about the artists that we're about to offer works by and to like help explain what the artist is trying to accomplish and help explain their message. Yeah, I, I just think that the whole drop mechanism is something that you see all over the, you know, the, the culture world, the fashion world, you know, Supreme, they do drops like Nike does drops. It's, it's just a very common dynamic. And the more we thought about it, the more we realized like there's a reason it's a common dynamic. The reason is that it really helps the people making what they're about to sell, explain what they're about to sell and educate the audience about what they're selling. So like, that's really the, the reason that we chose to do it this way. And that's why when you go to Nifty Gateway, when you go to the exhibitions page and you click on the Boombox project, for example, we have a lot of like information about Lyle, the artist. We really try and tell his story. We talk about what he's trying to accomplish with the Boombox project. Our goal is to get every artist who launches a collection to do a video in the future. I think that would be just like the, the more we can get about like why they're doing what they're doing, the better. Yeah. And I also think, yeah, one challenge that we realized existed for the NFT space, you know, and this exists for anyone in the NFT space of the art world was that, but it's just really, really important. We realized to create a strong quality narrative around NFTs. You know, NFTs are rare digital items. They deserve that same sort of quality narrative that exists around a signed Russell Wilson jersey or the original Mona Lisa. Like there's such a powerful, profound quality narrative around those things, even though they're just like cloth with some Sharpie on it, or in the case of the Mona Lisa, like it's just a canvas with some paint. You know, all, all, objects are just objects. What really matters is the significance that people imbue them with. You know, what really matters is the story behind them. And when you do the drop model, you get a chance to tell that story with all the NFTs that are being released. And it really, really does a good job illustrating why the NFTs matter. Like it gives us a chance to highlight every every single project. And yeah, so we just think that quality nerve is so important. And NFTs totally deserve every much as every bit as much of a quality narrative as any sort of rare physical item or rare piece of artwork. And this just gives us a chance to highlight that. So yeah, that's kind of a decision we made that we think will be effective. And like, it's too early to tell, I guess, whether it will be effective, but I, yeah, I, I think it's a good model. And like Duncan said, there's a reason so many people do it. So we'll see. It's ubiquitous around the, the art and culture world. We looked at that and we realized, well, there's a, there's a reason it's ubiquitous. Like this is not just a coincidence that, you know, both Sotheby's and Supreme decided to like structure their, their sales this way. I think that you guys are absolutely 100% correct on that. People love the narrative. People love to hear the story about why or how something was created. And it's kind of like, you know, I, I like to kind of use the analogy. It's like when artists show their proof of work. So, you know, when an artist posts a, a new piece of digital art on Twitter, and I see it, I'm like, oh, wow, you know, it's beautiful or whatever. But if they post the piece of their work, plus they post additional, you know, as you guys mentioned, like maybe a short video or maybe kind of a walkthrough of why they created it, how they created it. Oh, I used, you know, Photoshop with this software and I, you know, use this AI algorithm to create this thing or whatever it might be. I think that I love that. I like eat that up. And I think yeah. it's because 
people love when they're when they're more familiar with something they get i don't know they just tend to like it more and uh totally. it makes it makes people realize oh wow okay he didn't just he or she did not just you know copy and paste this from the internet they really put a ton of work into this and you know really thought it out and this meaning uh this meaning's really deep or whatever so no i think absolutely. you guys absolutely absolutely hit, hit the nail on the head with, with, with that for sure i think that that's a great idea the proof of work thing too is super interesting eugene way's piece status as a service he had a really long I love that long, piece i love that piece yeah it was so good huge fan and it really just changed the way i thought about so many social dynamics and quality and narrative dynamics because proof of work is so fundamental to it it's true in social media and it's so true in art too you know it's really it's like proof of work is the one thing that can't be faked it takes work to get there you know like it can't be faked so super super interesting and i think it's really interesting that every society or community has their own proof of work mechanisms within those groups. So for example, like CryptoVoxels, the proof of work mechanism at the start, maybe it's changed. I, I, I'm not super on top of it right now, but was you have to build a great building and then you know post it. And if, if you made something beautiful within that virtual world, people would really appreciate it. And then you kind of get credit for that. And same thing goes for Decentraland or Somnium Space or Sandbox or whatever. Virtual worlds are like that. And then I think the proof of work mechanism for digital art is more of giving the backstory on how you, how and why you created it. I think it's just so interesting to see these different dynamics play out per project or per kind of culture. The proof of work in American society is like, did you toil for four years at an elite college that you worked a bunch to get into, you know, and like wasted your time there? That's another proof of work. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Like every culture or society has their specific proof of work models and people just, they just copy it because that's just, okay, this is how they got status. This is how they kind of showed their, their metal. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to copy them and just do that thing. I think that that's super. I'm actually trying to write a blog now about proof of work within non-fungible token space. I've been working on it for like two, three months and I just can't, I can't like, I don't have it down yet. And anyways, that, that'll, that'll come out soon. But if I were you, but I would go to, a, go to a gallery opening, you know, because they've been doing this for, for years and years. Like yeah, I started that they have like, and the thing is too, like so many people in the art world are from, uh, they're all like liberal arts minded people. You know, I, I like to talk about how everyone at Nifty Gateway is a, a comp sci major or like a math major in college, but like everyone in the art world is, was an art history major and English major. I think it's kind of interesting as we've seen that like divide show up and you go to like a, you go to a gallery show, like generally the quality of writing is like absolutely spectacular. Like the level of research that they've done it for me it was kind of like it was the first time where i was like wow this is a the liberal arts like really being applied in a in a true way you know in a in a corporate setting like the art industry cannot function without very smart liberal arts graduates and like i i think like this it's not quite true of the nifty industry yet but i think in the coming years we'll see the same thing start to happen to the nifty industry where so much of what you do will be like how well you're describing the art that you're selling like how well you surfacing the the story of the artist that you're working with like how are you communicating that to your audience so that's really been a focus of ours too i could not agree more i think the, yeah the narrative is just so important especially with digital i wanted to ask you guys about the kind of curation model that you guys are headed towards are you guys was that intentional we want to choose exactly what goes on our platform we want to kind of curate what goes yeah what goes on and what we're kind of promoting are you guys kind of prepared to go down that route of being the curators? You know, it's a great question. I don't know if I'm exactly qualified to 
to curate a, a gallery as you as you would. But I think I think the reason that we chose that is because, I mean, as I said, we've been in the NFT space for a while. We've we've seen a lot of people who were just trying to do a cash grab, and like I I thought that was kind of, I mean, that's not great for the space. It's not great for the buyers. We really wanted to build Nifty Gateway as a place where if you saw something for sale on Nifty Gateway, you know that whoever is selling it has put in time, put in effort. You know that they're really trying to accomplish something. I think that does present some more challenges for us early on because we do have to have a strong, you know, we do have to do a lot of curation and we do have to spend a lot of time with the artists that we work with to make sure that what they're doing is awesome. I think in the future, you know, we'll we'll see that I'm sure there'll be ways for us to expand that and maybe grow the team with people who can help us curate more. But yeah, I think for right now, it's, it's really just us like doing the curation, like talking to the artists, like trying to tell the the artist story and uh, we're learning as we go. So it's definitely been an interesting experience. But yeah, curating is definitely super important for us. Not that Duncan and I are like, I mean, yeah, it's super important. And we really try to work with like great people. And like Duncan said, anytime you buy Nifty from Nifty Gateway, we want to make sure like it's an awesome Nifty that's really, really compelling and worth owning. So yeah, I, I would say it's very important to what we're doing and we're absolutely committed to it. That makes a lot of sense from the user standpoint, because as a user, I want to be able to go to a certain website or certain location and know that all the assets on this platform are, are of high quality and kind of have been vetted versus going to kind of the free-for-all approach where you kind of do your own research, which is great. Everyone should do their own research, but it's also, you don't know what you're kind of getting uh, a lot of the time. Yeah. I think both work. I think OpenSea is an awesome business. Alex and Devin are some of the best engineers I've ever met. So yeah, I think both approaches are perfectly valid. We've just totally gone with like the curation. You just got to pick a lane. Yeah. I mean, the OpenSea guys are just in- insane. They're they're incredible. They're insane. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that in order to have a platform where curation happens, you also need the platform where it, it doesn't necessarily, they're not as strict. Because if yeah, it was just you know a couple platforms where everyone was curating stuff really strictly, it wouldn't the the experimentation and the speculation, which I think are essential to growth, that would slow down significantly. So I think it's great that OpenSea is is more open towards whoever, but I think it's also great that you guys are curating. So yeah, you're right. Each shot has its own merits. Yeah, I definitely think so. So you guys mentioned earlier that you guys are looking at potentially adding in some mechanisms on Nifty Gateway to kind of discourage flipping behavior. Can we dive deeper into that and why um, why you guys are thinking potentially about that approach? Sure. I mean, the, the main reason that we're thinking about it really is because, um, you know, people that we've talked to, like artists that we're looking at dropping projects with are uh, sort of upset by the fact that their their work will get flipped. I mean, that's really the, the main reason that we do anything because our partners like uh, want us to do it. So that's that's basically our thinking behind trying you know to see if we can do more to combat that behavior and i think it's really interesting that you know it's possible that there are things that we can do with nifties that wouldn't be possible in other you know in other mediums it's very difficult for nike to stop flippers from you know flipping shoes once you once you buy a shoe and it's on it's on the way to you in the mail it's almost impossible to stop that but i think that really you know there's a chance that with this new technology we can make it uh, we can build a system that's more aligned with everyone's interests and that the artists themselves prefer. Because as I said, really, it's it's them who are upset by flipping behavior. And it's because of their request that we're like looking into ways to seeing if we can, you know, reduce it. Yeah. And it's interesting because with physical collectibles, there's no, there's no, you know, the artists or the creators of those physical collectibles, there's no chance of them 
really getting secondary sales. But because of NFTs, in some instances, flipping is advantageous for the creator because uh, they can get secondary sales. But probably not, probably not in every instance. But you know, if they have like a five percent fee or a two percent fee or whatever, um, they probably would would like uh, there to be more market activity in there. So it's kind of there's kind of like two sides of this, and with NFTs, there becomes more possibilities. Yeah, exactly. So, and also, you guys have a feature on Nifty Gateway, which I, I absolutely love. It's kind of like a, a kind of a profile page in a sense where I can go to someone's kind of wallet and look at their Nifties and you know link to my social media and there's a little bio. What was kind of the thought process around that? Are you guys trying to make uh, Nifty Gateway a more like social slash collector marketplace type type of thing? Yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, we see that as an extension of display. One of the bigger issues with nifties is collectibles that people bring up is like, well, how do I show them off with sneakers? Like theoretically you could wear them, although most of the time people don't wear them, but it's kind of like, how do you build a, a network and a way for people to see what other nifties you own with something that's like as intangible as a digital collectible and profiles are kind of like an extension of display. We're also looking a lot into physical display, helping people buy TV screens and show their nifties off in their house, but having a, a you know, a globally persistent public profile, that can be linked to that shows off who you are on other mediums is just another way we see it of helping people display their nifties. And then there's also a lot of social features we're interested in, like letting you follow other profiles, things like that. Features that can be really, really cool. But yeah, it, it all ties into the, the vision of a decentralized digital item infrastructure across the entire web. And one part of that, of course, is like having an easy place where you can see what everybody else owns. I love the idea of bringing kind of the social media uh, aspect into the into nifties because it'll definitely increase the stickiness of it. And obviously people love to show off what they what they have. So I think that, that's a great idea. I wanna ask you about being able to purchase nifties with USD and having a centralized custody solution for storing that nifties. Why is that so important for wider adoption in the space? I mean, honestly, the way we see it, it's. It's just about building something that people are used to. The centralized cryptocurrency exchanges in general have larger audience than the decentralized ones. And there's more people who own Bitcoin on Coinbase than there are who own Bitcoin in self-custody wallets. I'm actually, don't quote me on that, but that's sort of my impression. And really it's it comes down to, you know, all of my friends who are not into crypto, it's like, how do we, how do we make it as easy as possible for them to get into it? Well, all of, all of the people I know who were not into crypto, they used Coinbase when they wanted to buy Bitcoin because it was just so simple for them to get started. Now I tell them to use Gemini because I think Gemini is a much better product. But that's a, <laughs> I, I really think that building an experience that people are used to and building something that they're familiar with, it simply lowers the cost of entry for someone getting into crypto and it lowers the cost of entry for someone getting into NFTs. So the way we see it, if, if you're a person, you've never heard of NFTs, you hear about them, you think, wow, that's pretty cool. You go out and you want to buy one. If you can just buy one with a, your credit card and you never have to go through cryptocurrency onboarding, you never have to figure out what a wallet is, like sign up, figure out how to use a wallet, then it's going to be much easier for you to get started. And we're going to convert much more people. And frankly, we're going to open up Nifties to a much wider audience. And that's really why we think it's so important, just so we can increase the number of people who can easily sign up and get started collecting Nifties. So I, I completely agree with that. Having a seamless user experience is essential in order to bring more people into the ecosystem. But I wanted to ask you about how will you guys get, quote unquote, regular people excited about NFTs? What will be that thing that you guys do that kind of brings the more, uh, the, the non-crypto natives? You know, a lot of it comes down to the way that we pitch NFTs and the way that we explain what a NFT is. 
I think that communication is so important and education is so important. So we've done a lot of work on, you know, trying to figure out what the best pitch is to get someone who doesn't understand what a nifty is over that hurdle and get them understanding and get them excited about nifties. Then I also think it's really a matter of like, like we were talking about earlier, creating content that they care about. You know, you have to create a nifty that's compelling enough for someone to buy. And that's really what we spend a lot of our time on trying to figure out ways to create the best possible content. So what is the kind of five, 10 year vision of Nifty Gateway? What, what is the future of Nifty Gateway in your guys' opinion? For us, it's really right now, we're trying to stay focused on just having the small wins add up. So we're really trying to get the best possible content on our platform. Uh, you know, we're trying to double down on building new features that make it easier to use and trying to figure out the best way to communicate what a Nifty is and to spread that message far and wide. And then after that, I think it's really a kind of an open question as to where we go from there. You know, the, our short-term plan is is to really stay focused on this one use case, which is art. But then I think that there's a lot of other use cases for NFT technology that, you know, I think that we might be able to help out on. I know Griffin loves to talk about decentralized item infrastructure. Griffin, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways NFTs could be ended, end up, you know, really getting like mass adoption. And at Nifty Gateway, what we're determined to do is really test the market, see what sort of use cases can really reach wide adoption. And we're staying open-minded in terms of where it can go. All right, guys, let's jump into the closing questions. And to start, let's go with uh, let's go with Griffin first. And the first one is, what is your single favorite NFT that you own? Oh, man, that's a good question. I think it would have to be my red boombox. I love the boomboxes. And I, the red one really just speaks to me a lot. From Lyle Awerko. That's a project we launched uh, last week. That's great. Duncan, what is your favorite? Mine is my... My CryptoPunk 4445. I, I love CryptoPunks. I think uh, there's such an important project that invented so much about what is important for Nifties. Usually when we're trying to introduce someone new to Nifties, we, we show them CryptoPunks. I just have one right now. I'm thinking about acquiring a lot more because I feel like Is there any significance for the 4455 number or is it just like kind of the look of the CryptoPunk you, you like? It's the look of the CryptoPunk I like. I mean, I really, I, I want to get a zero attribute CryptoPunk, but they're kind of hard to find. They're a little more difficult to come by. So I settled for one that I just liked the look of it until I could get the, the zero attribute one that I'm looking for. If anyone has a zero attribute CryptoPunk they're willing to sell me, send me an email, duncan at niftygateway.com. Nice. What is something you'd like to see happen or something that, that you think needs to happen to the NFT ecosystem? Let's go with, uh, let's go with Duncan first. Yeah, I mean, something that I would, obviously the stuff that I would like to see happen is like, it's basically all the this, this stuff that we're doing at Nifty Gateway. I really want to see, you know, more, more people who like create in other mediums, like s start to experiment with this medium and try and figure out how they can use it to their advantage. I mean, like I, when we were working with Lyle, one of the things that he said, he's, he primarily worked in photography and then sculpture before he did the Boombox project with us. And one thing that he said was, you know, photography wasn't really taken seriously as a medium for many, many years. And, uh, and now it's like, now it's taken extremely seriously. I think uh, these things just take time, but yeah, I would like to see NFTs be taken more seriously as a medium in the, in the wider world. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I just want to see more adoption, more interest from people, and more understanding of the tech and why it's significant. 
And I think that'll slowly build over the course of the next five years or so, just the way we saw with Bitcoin in its early days. All right. This is kind of a, a broader question, but what role do Nifties play in the metaverse? And the metaverse being just a virtual environment that people live, work, and play in. Yeah, well, one thing I like to talk about a lot is Nifties being the decentralized digital item infrastructure. You know, the same way there's decentralized item infrastructure in the real world by default. With a distributed ledger, you can accomplish the same thing in a virtual world or across virtual worlds. I think what we'll see is that there will be some sort of decentralized ledger technology which creates infrastructure of items that exist across all the different virtual worlds that can pop up. The same way the internet kind of collected a lot of the different protocols and made them into one single unified internet. I would love to see a single like infrastructure of digital items that exists across all different virtual worlds. And I think it will exist on some sort of distributed ledger. And Nifty's specifically ERC-721s are off to the strongest start. So I'm optimistic about what we'll see there. That's awesome. I love that. All right. What are the key factors for success for an NFT project? Let's go with Duncan. I mean, I think that the key factor for an NFT success is effort. I mean, we spent a lot of time earlier talking about proof of work. And I guess effort is sort of like a broad answer because effort can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. But you really can't. I think the one thing that I've learned over and over again in, in the NFT space is like you can't phone it in. If you just try and like copy a project that has existed before, then like people are not really going to care. You know, like you really have to it's it's difficult to come up with a formula for a successful NFT project. You sort of have to dig deep and like use your creativity to really come up with a a great NFT project. It almost is better if it doesn't look like anything that has come before. But at the same time, you can't, you know, you can't introduce too much novelty or else you might lose people. So I, I really like to compare it to other creative endeavors. I think it's kind of similar to, to making a movie where each movie that is made really requires a, a huge investment, a ton of effort for it to be good and for it to be significant. I think that uh, we really saw that play out in the, in the post crypto kitties landscape where a lot of people tried to projects that they didn't put a ton of effort to into. And uh, then they got disillusioned and left the space because it was more difficult than they thought it would be. But I think the flip side of that is we've seen a, t- a lot of projects where people are putting in the effort, have the creativity that it takes and uh, are really creating something special. So that's really my view. And also, I guess from a more tactical perspective, the visuals are, in- I think, you know, the maybe the most important part of any NFT project. If it doesn't look good, I think it's really hard to convince people to collect it. I love that. It definitely makes a lot of sense. All right. So this is the last question. Where do you guys see the world of NFTs in three years? And either one of you guys can answer this one. I'll answer it. I think, well, three years from now, it's really tough to predict the future and especially tough because I think, you know, we're actively working on an NFT project. So like any answer that we give is going to be pretty self-interested. But I think we're already starting to see the, the early stages of more people from outside NFT land recognizing the creative potential of this medium, and then more people from outside NFT land recognizing how cool Nifties are and like beginning to collect them. I think that's really like what we spend a lot of our time on on Nifty Gateway. So I'd like to see much more of that activity happen. And you know, NFTs talked about regularly in more mainstream cultural spaces. Do you think that within three years we'll be able to, we'll have a million NFT users? I think there's a strong possibility, yeah. I mean, it really it really is tough to predict. I don't like to make specific yeah. number predictions, but yeah, I, I totally think that could happen. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's been awesome chatting with you. And if people want to find out more about yourselves or 
Nifty Gateway or contact you guys, where should they go and what should they do? Just go to niftygateway.com. Yeah, niftygateway.com. Join our mailing list if you want to get notified about new drops in advance. Join our Discord or follow us on Twitter at Nifty Gateway. All great ways to reach us. And you can also send me an email at duncan at niftygateway.com. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me. And you'll have to come back on again in the future and talk more about Nifty Gateway and, and where you guys are at. Thanks so much, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. Hey, everyone. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Zima Red podcast and subscribe to the Zima Red newsletter for more info on all things NFTs. Thanks so much for listening.